This summer, we have been in a series called Walking with Pete, and I've been enjoying it a lot. Uh, Part of of it I've been enjoying from Colorado. It's been a blessing to tune in and to uh, be a part of worship here through the live stream. I so appreciate those uh, folks that are on our live stream team. And, uh, and the preachers that have uh, come in and helped across the summer, John Brooker uh, and also uh, Pastor Paul uh, and, and also uh, Michael Thompson to come and just open the word before us. What a blessing. So far, uh, we, we began with a, a message called Meet the Rock and we talked just about Peter. Who is the guy that wrote this book? We, we love First Peter. Uh, it's, a, it's an amazing book and there's a lot in it. And if I see it on the back wall, it'll help me. Uh, but we, we love to, I see a writing on the wall. So we give these little signals back and forth. Uh, but if, uh, if we go back and look at that, understanding that um, this is a book that came from a person. Yes, it's, it's, it's God's word breathed by God. But also all of the parts of our Bible uh, come through the experiences and life experiences and culture uh, of those uh, who um, moved the pens. And so there are things that are, are, are there. So we discovered a lot about how Peter was changed and transformed over time from where we first saw him in the Gospels. We talked about walking in hope and walking in holiness, walking in harmony, walking under authority, and walking at work. Those have been our topics so far. And today we're going to talk about walking with Pete in the home. Now, let me just um, stop and say a bit about this. It's really walking with Jesus in the home. And this is, for me, kind of where the rubber meets the road. Uh, uh, a lot of people would say, well, that person, they have a great public persona. I mean, we just see God so much in them. But then at home, it's quite different. And so, I, I, for me, I want to be authentic in all of my life. I, I pray that if you ever talk to one of my kids, they would say, uh, my dad at home is just the same as what you see in public. Now he messes up and stuff like that, but you know that. So that's a lot of, of what we want to be looking at here to pursue authenticity. Now, let me just say something else. Uh, this passage today talks about husbands and wives. And I realize very much that not everyone is a husband and not everyone is a wife or has been a husband or wife or will be a husband or wife. We know that. Uh, but there are larger principles here to apply in all of the close relationships we have. And also, this is not a condemnation of divorce or divorcees or anything like that. This is about our closest relationships in life and, and how we walk in those. It's a lot about honor. And I think if I was to rename this message, a little too late because I, you know everything's up on the screens and everything like that. Um, but if I were to uh, rename it, I would call it walking in honor. And so let's listen with ears uh, for that and hear what Pete has to say. These are not the easiest scriptures in the world. We're looking at 1 Peter chapter 3, uh, beginning verse 1. It's on page 1015 of the Bible that's out there. If you do not own a Bible, take that Bible home with you and uh, begin to read and study the Bible. So let's look at 1 Peter uh, 3, beginning verse 1. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives 
when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Now let's stand and let's pray. Lord God, we have a lot to be thankful for, and we thank you for the word of God. We thank you for, for the word, even when it is sometimes... Uh, words that we need to wrestle with. And so help us by your spirit as we wrestle with the word, as we discover what you have for us, and we give thanks. In Jesus' name, amen. Be seated. The big question posed at this point in uh, 1 Peter is how do grace, hope, holiness, and harmony, the things we've been talking about, impact life in a Christian home? Does it make any difference? You know, uh, we, we study and we preach and, and, and we sing and we're... But what does it look like at home? Because that's a really critical question for us. So Pete starts out with seven words. Wives, be subject to your own husbands. Someone called these the seven last words of our last preacher. <laughs> it's a hard text. <laughs> um, and, and it's one of those uh, texts, uh, I, I've been accused from time to time of leaving town in the summer and tossing the hard ones to the other guys. You can see I did not do that. <laughs> this one I really want to open up with you because I, I think it's when, when you come to a hard text, many pastors would just skip over this or, or kind of, you know, well, we, we, yeah, we missed that. But we want to look at it. Um, and we know that family life in the ancient world was patriarchal in its structure. And, and we also know that women had few, if any, rights in the ancient world. We also know that wives uh, were expected to obey their husbands. That's ancient world stuff. And so we ask the question, is that what Pete is saying? And if you catch up with me there a little bit, we'll be on, on task here. Um, or is he just falling in line with the culture that's around him? You know, you just need to go with, with the culture, what's, what's around you. So we need to look at this a little bit more. The marvelous thing is that the Greek word translated be subject, it's a really important word for us to look at. The word is hupotasso. Say that with me, hupotasso. Let's say it again, hupotasso. And it means, listen, to be under appointment to an ordained place. That's what it means. And it's very different from the word obey. There's a different word, uh, and it's used in some other places. 
It means to be under covering and protection. It's actually a call to stand in a place of honor, to receive an appointment. If you were appointed as an ambassador, it would be a call, stand in that appointment, that place. You are an ambassador. It's an honored place. It's a protected place. You know, if you go as an ambassador, you have a lot of protection because you have the whole, you have the nation protecting you and can be called into to your embassy to protect you. Another way to say it is accept your ordination to this place of honor. Wives, stand in your appointed and ordained place of protection, provision, and covering, and influence. And we're going to talk about that. This is not saying that you have to be married to be complete. It's not saying that at all. But if you are married, stand in that place with honor. That's what this scripture is saying. Now, a question comes up, especially in the age that we live in. Well, what if I don't want to? (laughs) Not sure I like that idea. I was raised to be strong, and I'm a strong strong woman, I'm a strong man. I don't really like that giving in stuff. Uh, What if I am strong enough to stand on my own without covering and protection and provision? And I've talked to a lot of women that say, I'm not going to depend on anyone. We need to talk about that within the gospel, within the grace, within the calling of what God has for us. You probably are strong enough to stand on your own. It's just that it's not about you. We're talking about the design of God for all of us, for your spouse, if you have a spouse, for your child, if you have a child, those closest to us, if you have a parent. I'm going to talk about all those relationships. This call honors an appointed place. It honors the the place of the husband as protector and provider. To say, I'm going to honor that. Men respond to honor. I mean, there have been so many studies about this. Men step up to honor. We're wired that way. I know that's a generalization. There are probably some that don't. But men step up to honor, and we need to know that and understand it. Men step up to honor. Actually, you know, in civic duty, they do that. In public service, in protection of the nation, they step up to honor. Actually, we all do. We step up to a place of honor when we are honored. This past weekend, Pastor Ann was coaching uh, the students as they were getting ready to go back to, um, to school. You know, and she said, on your first day of class, you need to go in and honor your teacher. You need to go in. And if you go in... And she coaches the kids like this all the time. She says, if you go in and say, I want to meet you, I'm saying your name. And then if you sit on the front row, open your books and just shut your mouth. (laughs) It's amazing how well your year will go. Do I have any teachers here who will say amen? Yeah, it's the start. And and the same is true for pastors. I've heard so many times uh, uh, teaching that would say, you know what, if you honor your pastor, your pastor will step into that honor. If you sit on the front row, our front row is empty today, you don't have to move, okay. But if you sit on the front row with, with notebook open and your Bible ready, that tells your pastor, I'm ready for something. And guess what? The, the pastor will step into that, will have something ready for you. We do this in many, many areas of life. Honor a husband and he will step up to be the husband you need. Well, he's not really that, honor him, and he will step into that. The husband then, who accepts his place as the covering and protection of God over his family, he he is honoring God in that, 
and honors his wife. And we're going to talk about that a little bit later in the scripture. For the husband to fulfill his appointed place, the wife needs to fulfill her appointed place. Now, this goes into every relationship. It goes into honoring your children, honoring your parents, honoring your siblings. Why don't they act the way I think they should? It's maybe has something to do with how we honor them. Now, let me just say, this has nothing to do with equality, superiority, or one ruling over the other. I found that picture. I thought it was a pretty good picture. Who do you think's going to win? We won't take a vote. <laughs> I got money on her, actually. <laughs> she looks pretty tough there. But this applies to all other relationships. If we try to rule over a child, it will fail. I grew up in a generation that was doing that, and it did not work well. If we try to rule over an elderly parent rather than honoring them, it will not do well. You know, years ago, it just occurred to me, I should stop saying to my children, I'm proud of you. And so I stopped. I, I, I don't say, son, I'm proud of you. Well, why wouldn't I do that? I think it's kind of stupid. I'm not responsible for you. I am gifted to have you. So I started saying, son, I am honored to be your dad. Uh, my children will tell you that. They'll, they'll, and, and they do this with their children. I'm honored to be your dad. My daughter, I'm honored to be your dad. My grandchildren, I'm honored to be your granddad. Because that's the truth. It's a great, great honor to be uh, gifted and entrusted with these children and grandchildren. My 98-year-old dad, many of you know, <laughs> I, I do everything I can to honor him. I'm at a place where I control everything right now. Every decision. I mean, I have siblings that I consult with, but it's all on me. And so I have to make decisions about his health care, and I'm back and forth, and do I have permission to make these decisions, and all this, or do I have permission to get this information? And it's very, very difficult. It's weighing, uh, but I will honor my dad because that's the right thing to do. The central teaching of Paul on marriage begins with mutual submission. Do you remember this? Ephesians 5.20. Before he gets into anything about, about wives submitting or anything like that. Giving thanks always for everything. Wait, stop. What a great way to start your day. Giving thanks for everything. Have you stopped to give thanks for your husband? Uh, that didn't occur to me. Have you stopped to give thanks for your wife? Have you stopped to give thanks for your children? Have you stopped to give thanks for your parents, your siblings? That's a great start there. To God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting one to another, to one another, out of reverence for Christ. You reverence Christ when you give in to that person. Not to anybody. By the way, it says your own husband, your own wife. It's not about submitting to a bunch of other people that, that probably you should not. Then Paul talks about wives being under the covering of the husband and the husband loving the wife as Christ loved the church. But that's the foundation, submitting one to another. The husband has an ordained position of covering. The wife has an ordained position of influence. No one more influential in the home than the mom. The wife. Uh, we, we see this so many times, but it's here in verse 1. So that even if some do not obey the word, children don't obey the word. 
Husband, wife, don't, doesn't obey the word. They may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. It could be argued that the wife has the most powerful place in a home because of her influence. Do any of you remember the, the movie, uh, My Big Fat Greek Wedding? You, it should be there. There we go. And my big fat Greek wedding, uh, the mom is Maria Portakalos. I think I'm saying that right. She's the mother of the bride, and she's giving advice uh, to her daughter, talking to her daughter. And she explains the daughter's kind of struggling with this whole thing of being married and, and how, how do you do that and all that. And, um, and the mother says to the daughter, the man may be the head of the house, but the woman is the neck. And she can turn the head any way she wants. <laughs> Now, there's some powerful wisdom in that. I mean, we laugh about it, but the, the influence, it's actually very biblical. The, the word that's translated helpmate in Genesis, I will make you a helpmate, is the same word in the New Testament for Holy Spirit. I will make you a helper. Holy Spirit is called helper. If the place of, of the male, we often say in the family, is to be the Christ servant, the place of the female is to be that guide and helper, Holy Spirit, that brings influence and strength and power. And, and we need to be aware of that. I sometimes tell guys, I say, your wife is, is your extra radar that you don't have. So many times over... 45 years of marriage in, in a couple weeks. Um, Pastor, my, Pastor Ann, my wife Ann, she will sometimes, not very often, but she'll say, I don't think you should do that. And I just have learned to say, okay. I don't fight about it. I don't say why. I know she's got her radar on. Sometimes she'll say, I don't think you should meet with that person. Or she'll say, I don't think you, you should meet with that person alone. Okay. I just listen because why would I dismiss my helper, my extra radar for, for what is going on around me? I guarantee you, she sees things that I don't see. And so that's why I want to make sure and honor her and honor that. The purpose of this is to win the husband to Christ. Well, it's to win anyone, everyone to Christ, to win your child to Christ. Respectful and pure conduct will win your husband to Christ and influence him toward obeying the word. Many times, uh, women lead the family in coming to Christ. They're the first. Now, we see more and more, so often, many times, children are the ones who first come to Christ. Pastor Ann, on Mondays, it's our day off, our Sabbath, but on Monday, she opens up the prayer requests from Sunday night. She opens up those requests and she goes through them and she prays over every single one of them. So many times, uh, there's a, a young person who's saying, please bring my dad to Christ. Please bring my mom to Christ. Please bring my family to Christ. That's the prayer request. They're the first ones. She prays with special empathy because she was the first one in her family to come to Christ. And all the others came to Christ later. And so it's this place of influence that we need to be aware of. Respectful and, and pure conduct brings change in children and in others within our families that are closest to us. 
What do you do if your husband does not walk according to the word? Is not a believer. You can win him to Jesus without a word. We had a lady years ago in the church that we were serving, and she came to Jesus, and she was just on fire for Jesus, and she said, I'm going to make my husband come to Jesus. And so she ran Christian television all during the day and Christian music at all the other times. She decorated all the walls with scriptures and scripture art and all kinds of Christian things, and it irritated him. I have to tell you, it did not work. It did not work. There are other ways. I've heard other stories of people who came to Christ and they just began, they, they, their spouse, sometimes a husband, sometimes a wife, they saw the change, the Holy Spirit change in them. And they were one to Christ. The other was one to Christ through that. So very powerful, respectful and pure conduct gives witness to Jesus within you. Now, the opposite is also true. Disrespectful, impure conduct will drive your husband or your wife away from Christ and influence them to disobey the word. I mean, pretty much in much of scripture, the opposite is always true. We can't help but wonder where Pete learned these things. How did he come across these things? We know that Peter was married because he had a mother-in-law. That's the only way you get a (laughs) mother-in-law. And from scripture, we don't know anything else really about about his wife or family. Now, if you watch The Chosen, you know a whole lot, don't you? It's marvelous. We know that the wife of Peter is named Eden and her mother is called Dasha. Now, you need to know that's wonderful historical fiction. It's based on knowledge of Judaism and fishing life and all those wonderful things that we go to Israel to study. But the chosen, uh, you know, is exploring these normal struggles of a young couple dealing with life and life changes and the hard things couples go through, some of you know. But we don't know the names, so don't stand up in a game show and say, Dasha is the name, because it's not in the scripture, all right? But Peter was a real person. And these scriptures come out of stuff that he had to live. So as he writes... Pete is inspired by the Holy Spirit. We know that because this is scripture, but also informed by his own life experiences. Pete knew that men are influenced by respect and purity of heart. That's not a a matter of of manipulation. There's a great book that I've recommended and given to many uh, ladies. It's by Dr. Kevin Lehman. It's called Have a New Husband by Friday. Set that out on the kitchen counter. But it's all about honor. It's all about honoring um, your spouse so that then things begin to change in the relationship. It's a marvelous book. I looked to see, did he write one, Have a New Wife by Friday? And he didn't. He did write one called Have a New Kid by Friday. The way we honor in our relationships makes a difference. It's about connecting as equals, as co-heirs with Christ, he calls it. Pete knew that husbands... Don't come to Jesus by argument, nagging, rebellion, accusation, or domination. I've never met one. I never met a guy that said, well, after 20 years, she nagged me into the kingdom. That's my testimony. Never once. Now, there may be one. I don't know. Talk to me later. Um, But husbands are influenced positively um, by, by respect, and they're not influenced by disrespect or impurity. 
Uh, Paul addressed these same matters. You know, we have Peter and Paul are kind of the pillars in the New Testament. And Paul addressed it in his letter to the Ephesians before talking about husbands and wives. Uh, he said, you got to be filled with the Spirit. It's the first thing he says. You know, we see the little, the headings, and those are not in the original Greek. You got, if you look a little bit ahead, you'll see there's a division there. You need to be filled with the Spirit. Do not be drunk with wine, but be continually filled with the Spirit. It's the basis for everything that follows. If you don't have the Spirit, you don't have the basic tools for marriage or for relationships with your children or your parents or your siblings and any, any other that's important. The fruit of the Spirit in you will win that person or your child or your parent to Jesus. You know, I just love the, the memory that comes to my mind of our, our daughter leading her grandpa, her papa, Stevens, when he was in the hospital leading him to Jesus. He said, like the last one. And he came to Jesus. She prayed with him to receive Christ when he was in the hospital near the end of his life. These things are, uh, they flow across our families in ways that are very, very powerful. These are changes uh, that begin to be evident in us and give testimony. Paul also set the foundation for this mutual submission, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. It is the grounding of, of all this. A spirit-filled marriage is going to be about learning how to give more than you take. We hear this so much. Is it, is it about 50-50? No, it's really about 100-100 uh, as, we, as we give. And I'll just say this. I've told many men this in, in counsel and coaching. The biggest challenge for men is to overcome our selfishness. It just is there. I mean, it's in us. We kind of want our toys and our things and our time and our stuff. And, and it's to set those things aside for those that we need to serve and that we need to honor. Truth is, a godly marriage is about giving into one another. I often say it's a journey of learning to give in to each other. And it's the same in our relationship with our children. That may sound strange. Oh, I'm supposed to rule over that child. I don't think so. I think we need to learn to listen. We can't learn to give in. If we can't learn to give in, uh, we're going to find ourselves in a, in a very unhappy place. Now, why is that? It has to do with our fleshly, sinful nature. You know, fundamentally, we don't want to be under protection. We don't want to be in that place. We want to be independent. We want to pull ourselves up. And we have to let go of that to say, I want to receive what you have for me, God. Fundamental nature is to rebel against those places of protection. Now, all of this, it's true in every other family relationship. Uh, the Spirit will teach us how to overcome that. <laughs> you know, it's funny, this, this summer we were um, out in Colorado and we go to the North Pole and we go into... Um, see Santa and the grandkids are in there to see Santa and one of our grandchildren that I will not name was in there and um, and Santa turns to her and says as she as we're getting ready to leave and says and and you know you need to stop rolling your eyes at your mom <laughs> boy yeah woo is right because she came away saying did you tell him something Somehow Santa had figured out that's a good thing to say at a certain age, an amazing thing. 
But the Spirit will teach us how to listen to a child's heart rather than rule over them. The Spirit will teach us to see a child's real needs and try to meet those needs and not pander to their wants because that's the other thing that we do sometimes. And it's honoring to do so. I'll say that the best thing that ever happened to my family was when the Lord called us to plant uh, Faith Fellowship Church, called us out of corporate religion. I had been traveling two days a week. I, I was in a big, big church and going all these different places. And I was not around my family very much. And suddenly, within a week or so, uh, I was with my children every afternoon when they came home from school. Best thing that ever happened. Because I've known so many grown children of pastors who hate the church. And many who don't like Jesus much at all. Now, I know, I know there are others, and I have some precious friends that their grown children serve the Lord. But I, I could not be more blessed that my children all love Jesus and love the genuine church, and they serve their churches faithfully. Pete calls us to focus on the hidden person as a key. Don't, don't let your adorning be external, braiding of hair and putting on gold jewelry and clothing and all that sort of thing, but adorn the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Now, let me just say, I don't think God is against braided hair or jewelry. I mean, people say, well, should we put on makeup and, and should we, you know, get our hair colored and done and things like that? And we, we always say, do the best with what you got. <laughs> I think that's a, a principle of life, you know. Uh, you know, cut your hair and, and do this sort of thing. But don't let this be your only adornment. I think that's what this is saying. We tend to change the exterior. We say, I want to change in my life. I'm again, I'll get some new clothes. I need some new jewelry. I've known some people that they had so much jewelry they couldn't carry it around on their hands. That, that doesn't, that's not a change. I mean, there's not anything bad about jewelry. But change the hidden person of the heart is the call here. And we do it in all kinds of ways. We might lose weight, get buff, get a new car, go to the gym. And, and those can be good things. These days, there's a lot with new piercings and tattoos and all that. And I'm not going to go off on tattoos. Some I, I see, they say, I got a new tattoo. It's to signify a change in my life. And, and I don't say anything, but my thought is, wouldn't that change be seen in, in, your, in the hidden self, in the spirit, in the way we engage, in the way we relate? I, I'm not trying to get on to anything. All of those are exterior changes of appearance. And it's true for husband or wife. We are to adorn the hidden person of the heart. And it starts with the fruit of the Spirit. We've talked about that many times in our studies. This imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. That's male or female. This is a precious thing in God's sight. It means listening more than you talk. People say we're having communication problems. So they talk more or they talk louder. That's not the answer. Listen more than you talk. Communication issues are almost always about listening. And it's how you speak and listen to each other that is a powerful witness and testimony to everyone around you in the family, in the workplace. It's a testimony to your children. It's a testimony to those uh, in, in, in your church. There's a, a study that was done by the National Science Foundation, um, and it was published in 
a journal called The Proceedings of Interspeech. Wow, it's a strange name. And it found that the tone of communication could predict marriage survival or failure with 79% accuracy. You should say, wow, there's nothing that can predict survival or failure of marriage uh, as much as this. There's nothing that's that high. You know, we do all kinds of surveys and, and things like that. And, and what they did was they, um, they taped people when they were in their homes or alone, and then they taped them in counseling sessions. And marriages um, that were observed to have a tone of sarcasm or disdain, disrespect, mocking, or disgust. Those are all pretty ugly words, really. Pointed with extreme accuracy toward a failure that would come in the future. It's verbal and it's nonverbal. And if I say this, you are probably thinking, I know this to be true. Oftentimes we observe we're around, you know, families or we're around someone in our own family or around a couple, and we kind of wince when they speak to their spouse. I wish he wouldn't talk that way. I wish she wouldn't uh, speak in that way toward him. And, and, it, and we don't really know what to do to try to help in that situation. Um, it's not, and it's not just what you say, it's how you say it. I, I call it the Jackie Gleason honeymooner syndrome. Some of you are old enough to remember. But that contentious, we laughed and laughed at that. I think it's ugly. You know, to the moon and all this kind of stuff. I, I don't think it's helpful for us in the way we view marriage. This is the way that holy women who hoped in God adorned themselves. So he starts to talk about Sarah, how she submitted. She gave into uh, her husband. Now, we know that Sarah also got impatient with God's timing and brought Hagar into the family as a surrogate of sorts. She was not a perfect person. And God worked through all of that. But she honored the appointment of Abraham and called him Lord, which just really meant sir. And that wasn't easy. If you know the story, you may remember that in Genesis 12, Abram, he was called at the time Abraham, was so scared that he told Sarah to tell the Egyptians uh, that, that uh, she was his sister. He was afraid he was going to die. He said, tell him, tell him that you're my sister, not my wife. And so they took her and brought her into Pharaoh's house. And the obvious intention was to add her to the harem. She was very, very beautiful. Well, God protected her. She honored her husband, but she uh, was protected because almost immediately all of uh, Pharaoh's household started to get a plague. I call it the itchies. <laughs> they got something. And, and Pharaoh came back and said, you didn't tell me she was your wife. <laughs> Here, take her back. And she was protected. There's, there's no indication that she was made one of the wives of Pharaoh. But we need to understand that God is watching over us in these situations. In the next part of that verse, it says, Do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Don't be afraid. Do what is right, the NIV says, and do not give way to fear. We're not to submit to a husband or to a wife in something that's immoral. I think I need to always say that. Uh, if, if your spouse asks you to do something that's immoral, you say, no, <laughs> I'm not going to break God's law. This is true for children. We always remind children, if, if someone, anyone, but if your parent asks you to do something that, is, that is, you know is wrong, you don't do that. You, you get some help. You, you, fi you find some help. 
Submission, though, places us under the protection and the covering of God. Uh, Sarai never doubted that she was protected by God. Uh, and so she a- acted uh, in, in a faithful way, even though Abram was a coward. He was being a coward. Uh, sometimes I ask guys, how, how long do you think you would get away with that? Oh, she's my sister. You know, not so. Now, in verse 7, there's just one verse for us, guys. He starts with this word, likewise husbands. That means, guys, all of that, right back at you. All of that. Because this is about honoring. And, and then he adds us a, a few more things. Be true to your appointed place. Uh, honor her place of influence. Uh, don't worry about exterior appearances. If you're more worried about being at the gym than hearing your, the heart of your wife, you, you need to reorder your priorities. Focus on the hidden person within your character and be willing to give in. Now, there's specifically five more things that he gives to us guys, okay? Live with your wives in an understanding way. And I think all this goes both ways. In an understanding way, the, the uh, NIV translation is be considerate as you live with your wife. Uh, the word comes from the word gnosis, which means to know by experience or science. Basically, uh, Pete says your assignment is to seek to know your wife. By experience. You know, walk as you, much as you can in her shoes. I remember the first night when we had a little baby. And I said, I'll stay up. I'll stay up through the night. And I'll nurse the baby. And, and so we had bottles all set and stuff like that. And boy, was that a long night. <laughs> you know? It, 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 when we step into that place, it's an assignment to seek to know her life and experience. Sometimes I'll, I'll talk to a guy and I'll say, well, I don't understand women. You don't need to. You need to seek to understand one woman. That's what I do. I, I know this woman better than anyone in the world. I'm convinced. Except Jesus. And I'm not done. I'm a long ways from, from understanding and knowing everything. But I find it marvelous to discover new things in her heart, new things in her passions, new things that God created for her. And so my life study is to create a greenhouse where she can become all that God designed her to be. I think that's what marriage is all about. Husband, your, your science for the rest of your life is to seek to understand your wife. Secondly, show honor to uh, your wife, to the woman. Value, esteem. It's the same word that's used for honoring your uh, mother and your father. Give weight. Give value. Value them. Show esteem. It's not just attitude, it's action. And your actions should reveal value. Now the next part we've got to be careful on. Because he's, he finishes the phrase saying, as the weaker vessel. Should I just leave now? <laughs> it's a tough one. Uh, and actually the vessel um, actually indicates uh, more easily broken, more, more easily uh, shattered. Is what it indicates. Um, and I'll say that, you know, this is a raging debate uh, across our nation right now. But generally what I hear, uh, really largely, is that women are generally not as strong physically as men. Now, please don't come up and challenge me, all right? In fact, female athletes 
almost unanimously. I've heard one professional female athlete who disagreed and thought that people born as males should be allowed to compete with females. We, we know it's a big debate. I, I think it's really, really wrong. I think it steals from uh, female athletics, women's athletics. Now, we should also understand gender dysphoria is very real, but it's also based in a lie from the enemy that questions the word of God. The Bible's clear there are two genders and both reflect the image of God. Uh, Genesis 1.27, you can't change it. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. That's what the Bible says. You say, well, Pastor Jeff, I can't believe you said that. I didn't. He did. Okay. Question would be now, are, are women tougher? Um, and I, I want to share with you something I discovered in a study. It's in the Journal of Pain. I didn't even know there was a Journal of Pain. If you'd have asked me, can when women tolerate uh, pain better? I would have said, oh yeah, women can uh, have a higher threshold of pain, I think. In general, I mean, it may not be a whole lot, but it's definitely higher than men. That's what I would have told you. You would say, well, where did you find that research? I found that research three times in labor and delivery. <laughs> Buddy, you push a watermelon out of your body and then laugh and, and cry about it at the same time. Okay. But I was shocked to find that the studies show men have a higher initial tolerance for acute pain. I mean, I had to really look at it and say, well, but... The rest of the study found women have a more consistent tolerance for acute pain over time. And listen to this. Women demonstrated an adaptive staircase of pain tolerance over time. That's what they call it, an adaptive staircase. In other words, women get tougher. So don't mess with a woman that's been through some pain, okay? Childbirth would be one of those, okay? Women get tougher as they endure pain. Fourth, value them as heirs with you in the grace of life. We are co-heirs with Christ. Husband and wife are equal in value. Don't ever miss that. God did not pay more for a man than he did a woman. He did not pay more for a, a grown person than a child. He did not pay more for a child than for an unborn child. He paid for all of them the same price. He did not, not, not pay more for you than for an elderly person. God loves the people he created at whatever age and station they are. Amen? That is an amen. The value is equal. The fifth thing, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Wow. What does that say? It says that the prayer life of a husband that honors his wife will be unhindered and unimpaired. Sometimes I'll, I'll talk to someone and they'll say, oh, why are my prayers unanswered? You know, why is that? And you might be asking that same question. Are your prayers going unanswered? And, and it would be check the way you are honoring. Check the way you are valuing your wife, your husband. I think this goes, your, your child, your, your elderly parent. Take a look. I think sometimes, I don't know, but I think sometimes God's listening and saying, I'd really like to answer your prayer. But do you remember over here when I asked you to honor this person? Your parent or your child or your sibling? This, no, not just anybody, this close person that I value very much. I'm watching for that. And then we'll get to your prayer requests and your things. Now, how do you do that? Paul sets forth this high calling for husbands. Wow. Husbands, love your wives 
as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. I don't know a, a, a bigger challenge and a higher calling, a higher challenge in life. It's the toughest assignment. It, it means, it means uh, it's directed to guys. Guys, you need to be ready to die for your, your spouse, your wife. You need to be ready to die for them. And more than that, you need to serve them. How did Jesus love the church? As he was getting ready to go to the cross, he said, you know what? I think I'm going to wash your feet. Took this low place. And I don't know. I just try to imagine that as Jesus goes around the room and Peter says, no, no, not me. And he says, well, if I don't wash you, you're not clean. Okay. And wash, wash all of me. It's very, very powerful. This is how Christ loved the church. Sometimes I'll be talking with, with some guys and I'll say, you, need, you know, you need to go home and wash your wife's feet. If, if she likes that, okay? <laughs> I don't wash Pastor Ann's feet. But I rub her feet almost every night because she likes that. If it tickles, don't do it, all right? Okay? But serve. There's so many other ways that we can serve. I love to serve my children. I remember when our kids were in coming out up in high school and I realized they're not going to be with me much longer. And every morning I would make breakfast for Andrew, our last one. And I would come in and, and, and I would put a towel over my arm and I'd say, your, your breakfast is now served, sir. Is there anything else that I can get for you? And we just laughed and laughed about it. But I was very serious about it. I want to serve you. If you're not serving those in your family, that's, that's how we honor. That's how we love as Christ loved the church. So the question of the weekend is, how are you walking with Jesus in your home in those close relationships? Are you stepping up to the ordained place and responsibility? It's different for every one of us. A lot of us are not married. Are you honoring your spouse, your kids, your parents? Are you covering and protecting and providing? Are you influencing for Christ? Paying attention to the, the hidden character are you loving your spouse, your kids, your parents, sacrificially as Christ loved the church? Let's pray together. Father, I thank you so much that, that you wanted to create us in relationships, in family. And, it, and this reflection of, of the community, the family, of the, of the Holy Trinity that we experience, that we see in our lives. God, show us how to walk in honor to walk with honor, to give honor, and call those around us to step into that place, into that covering. In Jesus' name, amen.